We're going to continue to talk about chairs, and my subject matter this morning is my chair, if you are a note taker. Psalms 23 reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the, fal- through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 5 speaks of the Lord preparing the table before us in the presence of our enemy. We could say, Where we live right now, we're surrounded by those that oppose us, those that aren't of the faith, those that don't adhere to Christ. And so in this life, God has set a place for us, a table that is very significant. I I find it to be interesting that doing this study that not only is tables uh, a significant uh, subject matter in scripture and we can think of the various tables that scripture talks about but chairs specifically are mentioned dozens of times but to get back to the table portion I was amazed that tables are mentioned over 70 times in scripture that there is a significant symbolic or metaphoric reason for a table as well as a very practical reason and applicable reason for tables in our lives so when we think about a table, I want you to understand that these are places this morning that God has prepared for you and I, places where we can gather to be refueled by food and by fellowship. It is a safe and a sacred place where we have conversations about our day. And they're as diverse as our day is. They could be about the joys of the day as well as the challenges as well as our dreams and desires for future days. They can be a place where we unload and unpack some of our problems and find support and find a listening ear and find good counsel. It's also a place where people all have a role and a responsibility who are sitting at the table. Everyone not only is being served, but hopefully in the course of time, finds a place at this table to serve others. And so tables for this morning's message, when we're talking about my chair, is somewhere that we should gather often. But in today's culture, we're not taking advantage of gathering at tables the way we once did as a culture. And I understand the demands that are on people's time, the responsibilities, but I also know we make our own calendars. And one of the things that we talked about during COVID, during the heat and the heart of COVID was, I believe since this was a global event, God was giving everybody an opportunity to reset. We had an opportunity to reflect. We had an opportunity to repent. And we had an opportunity to reset our schedule so it was more Christ-centered. So our priorities were His priorities. And The concern was coming out of it, would we go back to the way that things were as a culture, as a people? And there were people that were fighting for the right 
to do what they wanted to do the way they wanted to do it when they wanted to do it. They were just exerting their independence almost to the harm of other people. Almost to the detriment of their own reputation, almost in the name of justice and righteousness, but almost self-righteousness. And there were a lot of lines that were being bumped. And I like to think of COVID as not something that created anything, but something that revealed a whole lot. A lot of things came out and, and a lot of emotion and a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions and a lot of lines were drawn. And I find in the midst of that, there's a thread. Listen to me. There's a thread of grief. There's a thread of grief that I don't even believe we as a nation dealt with righteously or well. Instead of allowing grief to bring wholeness and a new season, we used it as a soapbox to proclaim and declare our rights and what we believe we should have. And it even was that way among the church. Churches were divided. I have many, many peers and friends in ministry and we would be conversing and in our conversations there would come up opportunities about what model are you using? How are you gathering? Are you even gathering? Are you doing streaming? Are you extending services to people? Uh, and all of those things were happening not just only in the church, You think about the thousands of small businesses that aren't open today that didn't survive COVID. You think about the restructuring of our educational system, how people travel. One of the most disheartening statistics to me was that violence during airplane flights was up over 600% during COVID. I think it's bad enough that you're sitting in a you know, cylinder at 30,000 feet with wings on each side going over 500 miles an hour with a bunch of strangers. But you add the kind of unhealthy emotions in that environment. You had people that were like throwing down in the aisles, knocking over stewardesses. I mean, just being very disrespectful. And one of the reasons that I, I bring that up as I talk about tables is that Our culture forgot that God had set a table for us. He prepared a table. Everything was already there. All he wanted us to do was come and gather. He had designed a place for us to come, but we're so busy and we're so important and we have so many things to do and so many places to go that there are more restaurants open today, even with all of the ones that closed, than I can ever remember as a child. And maybe I'm of that age, and and I am, so if you're younger, it's no knock on your generation. It's just part of the way things have changed in our country. I, I can remember every day, at least two times a day, where my mom and my brother and I gathered for breakfast and gathered for dinner. Well, we sat down and shared a meal and we started our day off like that. And then we ended our day that way. 
But now we go through drive throughs there, there are so many restaurants that just take a look at your car. Is it filled with wrappers from fast food restaurants? Has that become your table? I mean, it's something to ponder, isn't it? I mean, it's we're running, going, doing, but are we going anywhere? Are we doing anything that we look back at in 10 years and say, I'm glad that I did that? Or are we letting other people and their idea of what success looks like define success for us as Christians? Are, are we endeavoring to keep up with somebody who we feel that, you know, is like a good example? But what? let's go beyond just good. What about someone who's a godly example? So I use this word to sort of cover all of what I just said. Let's really focus on prayerfully asking God, what's the rhythm for my life? And I believe that you'll come to the place that I have where you know you'll be busy, but you'll be fruitful. You won't be frustrated. I think God has called us to be productive, to be workers, to be doers. You know, if we're stagnant, we're not healthy. But if we're overcommitted, we're not healthy either. So the rhythm is the issue. You know, no sometimes is the right answer. I remember listening to Joyce Meyer years ago, and this was after her third nervous breakdown. You know, Joyce Meyer has had three nervous breakdowns. At the end of her third nervous breakdown, the Lord dealt with her because she couldn't do anything except lay in the bed and recover. And the Lord said, if you don't restructure and reevaluate your life, you're going to come home before your time to come home is needed. Because we have physical bodies and they have limitations. Aren't you thankful that God gave us a day of rest? Are we making advantage of it? The Sarkadian rhythm of our life is important. You know that God is so wise that at the end of the day, you know, we just pass out and amazingly we wake up six or eight hours later. I find that to be fascinating. I, I've never done much study as far as sleep, but it's a phenomenal gift that God gave to humanity. It's like, go, 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 pass out. <laughs> and then... Somehow, amazingly, all of our functions, all of our systems work while we sleep. He works on us while we sleep. And the next day we wake up and we think, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The gift of rest. Maybe one of the suddenlies that you're going to receive this morning as you're here is, the ability to put your head on the pillow at night and your mind not to race. Where you actually rest and enter into a deeper sleep and a more peaceful sleep and you wake up more renewed and refreshed for the day before you. Jesus said it this way, and, and no one could have said it any better or summed it up any wiser. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Don't borrow from tomorrow. You're not there. Just today is what we're given how many of you borrow from tomorrow or you have things that you drag from the past? Can I get a witness this morning? And we carry them somehow as if we can fix them 
or, you know, forecasting into the future, we perceive everything that we're going to get done and how it's going to get done and all the things that people are going to do while we're doing the things that we're doing so we can get done the things that we want to get done. And then when it doesn't happen that way, we sometimes throw our hands up and say, where is the Lord in all of this? I ask him to make my path smooth, but hold on. Is it your path or his path? Can I admit that I can speak so eloquently and completely about this because I'm as guilty as you guys are? Maybe I'm just the one who's encouraging myself for a minute. Can I get a hearty amen? Deep in the heart of Iowans, there's an amen. Can I hear it? Thank you. Thank you. Let's really let the Holy Spirit help us. That's what he's here to do. Let's allow him to be the comforter in our life our teacher, our guide. Let's really listen to his instruction. He is a phenomenal communicator and a great one that reminds us of the ways of Christ in the midst of living our life. Let's let's not grieve him or quench him. In the midst of tests and trials, he leads us around so many problems if we'll just be sensitive to him. Amen. I have discovered, maybe this is an obvious statement, wherever there's a table, there's chairs. Have you discovered that? Yeah. When Charlene and I first got married, that was one of the things that we did have. In the midst of all the things we didn't have, we did have a table. And we had two chairs. That's all we had. If a guest came over, then we sat on the sofa and they sat at the table. But that table was an important gathering place for Charlene and I. Our schedules were different, um, but we found time to sit at the table and converse and talk and unwind and support each other. So each chair at the table is important because the ones who occupy those chairs have a role and responsibility in everybody else's life who is at that table. Philippians 2.4 said, let each of you look out not only on his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Also for the interest of others. So let's examine the role and the responsibility of each chair that is at the table. And before I do that, I, I do want to give this little caveat because I didn't have a table that looked like this when I grew up with my mom and my brother. There were some people that were missing at my table But this is what I found, that God was faithful to bring others to fill those roles and to help me. And while I didn't have this present in my home, I did have it present in my life. And so you could be one of those that maybe some of what I'm talking about isn't present with you. Let me remind you that God is present with you. And God will bring those into your life to help you. The example for me was I had the absence of a father at this table. But I also had teachers, coaches, and ministers, as well as church members, men in the church, that played that role and took that responsibility in my life and spoke to me, encouraged me, instructed me, at times corrected me, so that I would have an example in my life. 
Well, I wish I would have had a physical father at the table. I found in the course of my life, God has been faithful. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So here we are. Of course, this would be where a father would sit. And a father's role at the table, once again, a place of gathering, conversing. It's safe. It's where people share dreams and ideas and the day and what's happening is to set the tone. And the responsibility of the one who sits in this chair is to be the most mature. And the mark of maturity in Christianity is love. They set an environment of love where they know everybody at the table isn't perfect. They know they're not perfect. But how many of you remember that little plaque or that poem where Christ is the unseen guest at every gathering? Unseen, but hopefully felt in presence. Dad should not be a dictator. Dad should be a director. And he sits in this chair. I, I, I always wasn't a good director. There was times that Doug was a dictator. And it just was more comfortable. Do you feel more comfortable when you're in charge? I, I feel like, you know, yeah, I mean, just do what I say and everything will be okay. Why aren't you doing what I say? Just do what I say and everything will be okay. And I've discovered that there is a way that seems right unto Doug. But in the end, it's not always the right way. Potentially, you've learned that lesson also, right? So this is the role, the responsibility of the dad is to continue to grow in his relationship with Christ so he can reflect Christ to his family. So we have mom and mom sits here and mom is the queen bee. This is something that means a lot to mom. When she says come to the table, she doesn't mean when your TV program is over. She doesn't mean when you're done doing what you're doing. When she puts something on the table, it's the fruit of her labor. What she put on that table, show up. Remember the mantra I have in my house, Charlene? Sets food on the table. Her mantra is, you will eat it and you will like it. Our response is, I love it. (laughs) You remember the episode, maybe I'm dating myself, but for those of you who are of my age or even a little older, and those that are younger, this would be good for you to, uh, to include in some of your entertainment choice is watching Andy Griffith. And the time that Andy and Barney agreed to eat, the pickles from Aunt B, the worst pickles ever. But they never told her they were the worst pickles ever. And so at the end of the program, she thought that they loved them so much, she made them a double batch. Yeah. You know, moms, uh, moms are nurturers. Dads are nurturers too, but, you know, they love to gather. Uh, there's a, a quality or a sense that a mom has that no one else at this table has. She's a perceiver. She perceives and senses things and knows things intuitively. Down in her heart, she knows things. She knows when the kids are good and she knows when they're hurting and she knows when to, you know, 
how to handle them accordingly. There's a tremendous place at this. I, I would say that this particular seat is, is one of the, the most impactful seats that was ever occupied by and is still occupied by my mom. My mom is a tremendous lady. I, I would say that she is in the Hall of Fame of heroes in my life. She's right up there. She's already been inducted. She didn't, I didn't wait till she passed away. Don't you hate that when you read about people and they've been dead for 40 years and, hey, we're going to induct them in the Iowa Coaches Hall of Fame. And their grandchildren are showing up to receive the plaque. And I'm like, you missed it by 40 years. You got to celebrate the people while you have them with you. Amen. It's a little caveat. So moms are gathers. They, they sense things. And I'm not saying dad isn't perceptive, but, you know, dad has a different role. All right, this is a great chair. This chair right here is, is where a toddler sits. You know, they get to the place that they're not quite ready for the big chair, but, you know, they're graduated from the high chair. And uh, this is a place where, you know, they begin to talk and demand and expect and communicate in their own way. Somehow you understand what it is that they need and you do everything that you can as a mom and dad to make sure that they're comforted. Otherwise, everybody at the table gets covered with whatever they're eating. It's just beans and peas and and everything goes everywhere. Around their setting, there's always evidence that a little one was there. Don't you love it? Waiters and waitresses, when a family comes in with six children, all of the age that need one of these or one of these, and you're like, um, we're going to order a lot of like soft food and chicken nuggets, but three-fourths of it's on the floor. So let's just see what we can do here. Scripture talks about children a lot. It talks about as babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow thereby. These little guys, as you know, parents, are so perceptive. Oh my, they pick up on everything. They watch, they observe, they are so sharp. All they are is little people who have yet to fully develop, but they're fully equipped. They have a mind, they have a mouth, they have attitudes. All of us know they can leave extremely messy bombs and diapers. They can have blowouts on the left or on the right. I mean, they can fill them up and they are, and they can, you know, just amazing. But they sense and perceive everything. Uh, those that are in child development know that at this age, very formative things begin to get shaped in the life of children. They perceive environment. Are you following me with that? They know when they're safe and they know when they're not. This is where, you know, uh, people that grow up and are very defensive and guarded maybe weren't nurtured or protected or guarded or loved or accepted begin to put those bricks in their life. So this seat needs to really be invested in wisely. And we need to be aware that they know tone of voice. They hear it, they see it, and they know whether it's nice or whether it's not nice. 
this chair is is one that you know when they you know, sort of graduate and get off our knees and we put them in this chair and we feed them uh i I think this is a real special place when i when I think of this chair as well as the one where the toddler sits i I want to say this before I get to the chair that none of us want to occupy. I want to say that this is a place where we protect their innocence. Be wise in the music that you play in the background. I'm not saying just play all Christian music, but there are certain music messages that you have to be careful of. Um, I was listening the other day and I sent it to some people uh, because they're, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, listening to a lot of that music, which do you believe that your generation had the best music ever? Every generation believes that. So let's, you know, not uh, arm wrestle over that. But Char uh, and I were driving, and I just wanted to listen to the Commodores. Remember the Commodores? Lionel Richie was their lead singer, and the Commodores, all of the members of that of that particular band all have a heritage in the church and so they recorded a lot of gospel music and my favorite Lionel Richie song and you can look it up on Spotify or Amazon or Apple you can look it up and it is Jesus is love oh my gosh he preaches during he sings and with that smooth bravado voice that Lionel Richie has so remember, environment matters. Set the right environment. If mom and dad are not communicating or not connecting, make sure that you do it apart from the ears of the children. Have those discussions apart from the kids because it does impact them. They get concerned if mom and dad aren't getting along. They perceive that. They don't know how to express it, but they perceive it. So protect their innocence. Invest in them, speak to them, build them up, and bless them, all right? So these are our chairs, I think, that we can look at biblically. And we talk about a father loving a wife, a wife submitting, respecting her husband. We talk about children, children honoring and respecting the parents. Well, that all happens in an environment, a nurturing and a teaching environment. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. There's no such child or adult. But there is an environment in which maturity can take place. The thing we want to avoid and the thing that we want to stay away from with every ounce of energy that we have is occupying this chair. You say, what in the world is this, Doug? This is called my chair. It doesn't fit at this table. There's no room for it. It doesn't slide underneath. It, it, it doesn't have a place or a function. This is the result of someone who never went from one seat to another correctly. Never graduated from one seat to another. And there's no condemnation. I think there's a little bit of my chair in all of us is You'll probably hear over the next couple minutes. So 
The reason that I pull this out and I want to talk about it is because I believe that God is not only at work, he's at work to get rid of some of the things that are hindering us from functioning and operating and living in a healthy way in the chairs that we're supposed to occupy in our family's life, in our friend's life, and in our co-worker's life, whosever life you're sitting at a table with. So the my chair, these are the individuals that the book of Hebrews talks about. They should be teachers, but they themselves need to be taught again. They should be enjoying the meat of conversation, but they desire and demand to be fed with milk only. The people that occupy these seats, and all of us have been there, simply lack maturity. They didn't lack opportunity, they just didn't make the most of it. They lacked maturity. People that occupy this seat, the reason I call it the my seat, it's not a high chair, it's a my chair, is because it's what? All about me. It's all about me. And isn't that sort of some, an undertow in some of the problems that we face in life relationally, each and every one of us? Where do arguments come from? Where do disputes, where do disagreements all stem from? Selfishness, without exception. I mean, where does division get its entrance into our life? Where is the breaking and the breaching of relationships? It's when someone sits in my chair. This is my chair. It, it is at the root of everything that we dis, despise and at the same time, sometimes the things that we contribute to. And that's why we despise it. Have you discovered, as I have, the things that sometimes you don't like that you see in others that you wish they wouldn't do are the very things that you do that you don't like about yourself? Just let's use our kids as an example. They're a mirror. And sometimes that's a painful reflection, but it doesn't have to remain painful. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm going to say it doesn't have to remain painful. It doesn't have to remain painful. So the people that sit in this, in Scripture, this is how they're described. They're Christians, okay? So I don't want to take away that they know Christ. They just haven't grown and developed in Christ-likeness. Do you understand me? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. But it's a shame to stay in an infancy or a babyhood state of Christianity your whole life. Not when you have opportunities to grow and develop. So in Scripture, people that sit in my chair are known as carnal, worldly, fleshly, selfish, those that lack discernment, and are categorized with this phrase. They know to do good, but they don't do it. And so they're duped into believing, I think, three things. If I occupy this chair, I believe that being served is a sign of significance. I think that when people are catering to me, I must be a, a person of value. I must be important. People ask me what I need. People do what I ask. But they do it because... They don't want to put up with my carnality. They don't want to put up with my outburst of anger. They don't want to put up with my selfishness. They don't want to put up with my chair. And so they just acquiesce because they're tired of the arguments. They're tired of the debates. They're tired of the discussions. They're tired of the fights. But somehow, 
when I'm being served, I believe that I'm important. Look, people do what I ask them to do or tell them to do. But it doesn't mean that it's healthy. It doesn't even mean that it's good. Can you relate? Yeah. The second thing that happens when you and I sit in this chair is that we believe that receiving is more blessed than giving. We're not contributors. We're, we're like the leech. We just take. We don't give. I think Chip Judd said it this Wednesday in his lesson that a bad marriage is like two ticks on a dog. Or two ticks and a dog. Something like that. Poor dog suffers. All they do is take. And we don't want to be those individuals. And the third is that if I sit in this chair, I believe that hearing or knowledge is more important than truth or doing or revelation. And, and, and it comes out this way conversationally. You ask someone to do something or you share with someone the things that you agreed that you were going to do and you get this response. Let me know if you can identify with this. I know, I know. I know, I know, I, I know. But it's not the knowing, it's the doing of what you know that gets you out of this chair into more of an adult chair. I mean, knowledge puffs up. That's what the problem with this chair is. People are puffed up. Pride is a problem when we sit in this chair. But love builds up. And love isn't about us, it's about God and it's about others. So how do we get out of this unhealthy chair? How do we get back to the place that we're functioning and operating and living not as dictators, right? Because you could sit in that chair and it could be in my chair. Not as worriers and fretters. These little guys, we give them quite a bit of room to grow. But if we take the toddler seat out and we say a teenager sits here, they're very capable of doing some things. Do you believe that? Like cleaning their room, folding their clothes, maybe even laundry, helping with the yard. They have grown to a place that they should be functioning and operating in some resemblance as a human being that's part of a family. They shouldn't always be kept on task or always reminded. There should be a transition in their life to, yes, I can do that. Yeah, and I'll do it. So how do we move from a place of selfishness and carnality and all about me to a place where we're more fruitful and healthy? How do we get out of my chair? It's found in Philippians chapter 2, and it's my last reading for the day. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, reads this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now it's going to describe his mindset. Who being in the form of God, the Greek says, and coming in the very nature of God, 
did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Understanding who he completely was, he did not discount his deity, but he behaved in his humanity as a servant. He was not a dictator, even though he was equal with God in every way. He didn't play the authority card. He didn't play the power card. He taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness as a man, in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, our goal as Christians is to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, we need to tap into the knowledge and the grace of the Lord and apply those truths to our lives. And one of the ways that that is evident is when we are selfless and when we are serving. Jesus promised if you lose your life, you're going to find it. You're going to find on the other side of what you thought was the greatest life ever is the greatest life I have for you. And it's a promise. And I promise you that every time that I have followed that path and walked on that path, I'm always, I'm always, always saying, I should have done this earlier. I should have done this earlier. Amen. In the path of a servant. So remember, if you sit in this chair, and no matter where it is around the table, what season of life, and we believe that being served is a sign of significance, we have to remember that Jesus said the greatest is the servant of all. You know, I'm amazed that, honestly, our nation throughout history, and I believe that we'll this will resurrect, and I think it will be restored. Throughout history, our nation has been known as a country where volunteers are valued and celebrated. And, you know, we have fewer people volunteering, fewer people stepping up to help than, you know, we've had in, in many generations. But I think there's going to be a resurrection and a reassurance that we're going to see people because they're going to get tired of sitting in this chair, and they're going to realize that, You know, being catered to is really overestimated. It really is. That in serving, you begin to find life. Remember that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't ever believe that receiving is better than giving. Giving is always better than receiving. And the primary reason is, is you have something to give and so do I. So let's give what we have. Knowledge is good, but knowledge without action just leads us to an inflated ego. Let's be doers, not hearers only. Let's never be deceived into believing that I know I know is enough. It's what I do, it's what I do. Because in the end, this is what we all are striving for as Christians. To stand before the Lord, and what do you want to hear? Well done. Not well known. Well done. Done, thy good and faithful servant. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.